Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. To be sure and never miss an episode of the podcast, I encourage you to follow us using your favorite podcast software, including Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, or Good Pods. As you are making your travel plans, remember to check johnnydollarair.com. johnnydollarair.com is a Priceline affiliate link. So part of the purchase price goes to support the great detectives of old-time radio at no additional cost to you. So remember, when making your travel plans, check johnnydollarair.com first. Well, now we're going to bring you the Gerald Moore audition for a Yours Truly Johnny Dollar revival. CBS was set to do a serialized version just as they contemplated back in 1952 before going with self-contained half-hour episodes. Moore was an interesting candidate. He is best remembered as the voice of Philip Marlowe in the 1948-50 to and then summer 1951 series over CBS. However, he'd starred in multiple detective series. He had played Michael Lanyard, the Lone Wolf, which was a tie-in to a film role he had, and he starred in The Adventures of Bill Lance before taking on the role of Marlowe. After Marlowe, he'd actually had another detective series he starred in, Mike Malloy, which actually turned into a serialized format before going on to the lead role in the fourth season of Foreign Intrigue on television. So Moore brought a lot to the table as a potential Johnny Dollar. So let's go ahead and we will listen to the audition. Now, as with the John Londa audition we played a couple years ago, we essentially are getting, even though there are only two parts, we're getting the first part and the last part of the adventure. So we'll skip over a bunch of plot, but that's just kind of the nature of the way that they recorded the audition. The audition date on this one is August the 29th, 1955, and this one is the Trans-Pacific Matter. From Hollywood, it's time now for Gerald Moore as... Johnny Dollar. Al Harper in Corinthian, Johnny. Hi, Al. I've got a case here you won't like, but the commission will be good if we beat it. How big is the policy? $200,000. Oh. Yeah, I'm afraid to tell you the rest. Why? It's in Hong Kong. Well, he haven't scared me yet. Johnny, the policyholders are people we've had trouble with before. I'm still not scared. No? You remember the Trans-Pacific Import-Export Office? Yeah. I sent flowers to the widow. Yeah. You still want to crack at us? No, but I will. Good. Al. Yeah. Now I'm scared. Tonight and every weekday night, Gerald Moore in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. <laughs> Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. To the Home Office, Corinthian Liability and Risk, Hartford, Connecticut. 
following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Trans-Pacific matter. Item one, plane fare to Hong Kong. Bobbing head of my rickshaw boy, I found Hong Kong to be a city without simplicity, overburdened with the tragic complexities of war. To fill the smallest want is a difficult and expensive task. There's a shortage of everything food, water, health, places to live. Both the island itself and the city of Kowloon over on the mainland were loaded with refugees from the interior, many of them lining the streets, wailing for arms as we made our way to the offices of the American consul. Yes, it is true. Life is very difficult here. Now, where are they all going, Miss... Uh... Where is there for them to go? What do they do? How do they stay alive? Many of them don't. So many of them. It is not like this in, in your America? No. Has it ever been? Well, it was a civil war once. Books say that at times it was pretty bad. But not like this. Oh, never. Louisa. Yes, Mr. Grover. Would you ask Mr. Dollar to step in, please? Yes, sir. Mr. Grover. I got it, thanks. Well, Hartford, Connecticut, huh? Come in, Mr. Dollar. How are you, Mr. Grover? Sit down, sit down. Thanks. That's right. Insurance investigation, huh? Yeah. Well, now, what's your errand and what can the consulate do for you? Well, I'm here to investigate a claim filed by Trans-Pacific Import-Export Company. Oh, yes, yes, of course. Well, Will Meadows' firm was destroyed by fire last month. hundred percent. Or rather, $200,000 worth to my company. Do you know this William Meadows, Mr. Grover? Oh, I've met him at the American Club now and then. That's about all. Uh, insurance investigators are hired when... When the company uh... isn't satisfied with something about the claim. On this one, the fire was blamed on vandalism. Well, vandalism's become quite a popular pastime, across in Kowloon especially. Do you suspect some sort of fraud? Frankly, we do. Trans-Pacific once had a branch in Shanghai. When the war closed in on them, their warehouse was burnt to the ground, just like this one here. Oh, I see. It occurred to some of the people in my home office that Trans-Pacific did much better by collecting on the insurance than if they'd gone through the expense of liquidating. Ah. I suppose coincidence won't quite do it, will it? Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. Well, now, how can I help you? Well, I'd appreciate some phone calls or letters that would give me support from the fire department and the police. Mm. Yes, of course you would. <laughs> you know, I suppose my problem seems very important out here. I was thinking that very thing. You know, it's always the case, Mr. Dollar. On the fringe of war, very few individual problems seem really important. Nor the individuals themselves. I trust you'll keep that in mind. I'll try to. Uh, getting help, even time, from the police or fire brigade is one of those individual problems. But I'll do what I can for you. Anything will help, Mr. Grover. I won't take any more of your time. Oh, um, be sure to leave your number with my girl. I'll let you know about the official assistance. Well, I came right here from the airport. I don't have a number yet. Oh. Uh, no hotel? No. Pretty tough? As a matter of fact, almost impossible. The accidental places are always filled, uh, I tell you, speak with my receptionist, Miss uh, Vedras. Is that her name? Vedras? Uh, yes. Her father's half Portuguese, owns a small hotel. He might have accommodations. Good. I'll ask her. Thanks again. Oh, uh, Mr. Dollar, uh, just a matter of interest. Yeah? 
The case of Trans-Pacific Import in Shanghai. You say your company was forced to meet the claim there? That's right. Was it uh, investigated? The investigator they sent over was killed before he could build a case. Miss Vaderus arranged for accommodations at her father's place on a dingy street called Sing Wang. A hill of steps along the waterfront overshadowed by the plush European mansions on the top of Victoria Peak. I had a room that looked out on an alley. Iron bed, a chair, a pitcher of water on a bamboo table. I was the only non-Oriental in the building. And I seemed to be the only one to notice it. The first night I suffered from a combination of claustrophobia and loneliness. Feelings that made me glad to find out who it was that knocked at my door. Well, hello. Mr. Grover asked me to tell you he has contacted a man named Harrison. He's at the fire control office. Oh? Mr. Grover also asked me to tell you that Mr. Harrison will see you tomorrow morning. Good. Uh, won't you come in? Come on in. Thank you. Are you comfortable? <laughs> Thanks to you, this is fine. I, uh, I don't have much to offer you. Cigarette, scotch, Miss Vaders? I'm very curious. About what? Why you are here? Oh. Well, it's business, if that's what you mean. But it's better kept confidential. Is there danger in this business? Why do you ask that? Because you were followed and you are being watched. How do you know? Oh, I know Sing Wong Street. I have seen this man before, but not here. Where is he? Perhaps you can see him from the window. You see that shop on the other side where the boxes are piled near the door? Yeah. Say you've seen him, huh? Where? I cannot remember that I have just seen him. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no need to worry. There won't be any trouble. You seem very sure of that. <laughs> I have the advantage. He doesn't know I know he's there. Thanks for telling me about him. Perhaps you know who he is. No. I didn't think anybody knew I was in town. You, you would just let it go on, this watching? Well, there's not much choice. Let's talk about something else, huh? Uh, what's that song? Hmm? Oh, it's a love song. About two lonely people who meet near a river. Oh. In America, the songs are a little different. Yes, I know. I like them. Do you know many Americans? Oh, yes. At the consulate office, I see them all the time. I want to marry one. I'd say he was a very lucky American. Oh, no, no, you don't understand. I don't mean there is only one. I want to marry an American who will... Take me away from China. There is no other way. You hate it that much? There's nothing else to do but hate it. There is no good here. Always trouble. Mm-hmm. The Chinese are a patient people, but I am not all Chinese. And I cannot make myself be patient any longer. I want to go to America where people thrive on impatience. Mm-hmm. You know, I think from what I have seen that Americans are the most impatient people in all the world. Yeah, that's right. They say we kill ourselves that way, heart and stomach. Oh, no, you live longer and, and better. What about your Portuguese people? They are gone. You, you think I'm wrong to be this way? No, I didn't say that. I hope you find your American, Miss Vedras. You, you want me to go now? I think you better. I'll see you tomorrow. Yes. Good night.
Three things interfered with sleep that night. The pleading in the eyes of the girl. The smells and sounds that drifted into my room from the restless, crowded city. And the watcher who was still at his station across the street when I turned out my light. Yeah, the toughest part of this case was that failure in Shanghai where the agent had been killed. It was a pretty sobering memory. And for that reason, every face on Sing Wong Street was a suspicious one. Every group of Hong Kong Chinese were potential assassins. With my watcher across the street, the first to be reckoned with. Well, gun in hand, eyes on the street. I fell asleep that night watching him. In the morning, there was a different man in his place. I was followed to the office of Harrison, chief of the fire brigade, who had developed couldn't see me after all. So with time on my hands, I decided to talk to William Meadows, head of Trans-Pacific, the firm I'd come to investigate. Oh, yes, mister? Mr. Meadows at home? Oh, yes, sir. Uh, you give name, please? Who is it, Lynn? Uh, American gentleman. My name is Dollar, Mr. Meadows. I'm from Corinthian Liability, Hartford office. Wait a minute. You coming, please? What did you say your name was? Dollar. What's the matter with that company anyway? Didn't the adjuster send in his report? What are you doing here? Now, wait a minute, Mr. Meadows. This doesn't have to be unpleasant. They sit back there in Hartford with nothing to worry about but Sunday's golf game. They don't know a thing about the conditions we're working under. Well, they do know your fire here pretty much follows the pattern of the one in Shanghai. Of same course circum- it does. The conditions are the same. Including the, quote, starving refugees, unquote, who killed and robbed the investigator? Careless people are dying here every day. It can happen pretty easy. Now say what you have to say and get out of here. That's well, very little, Mr. Meadows. I came here mainly to get my reaction to you. I have. You jumped to the conclusion you were under suspicion before I got through that door. You're on the defensive, so you've got to have a reason to be. Show him out, Lim. You come now, Mr. Dollar. Now, wait a minute. More important, you're having me followed. You've got to be afraid of me. Uh, please, hold Mr. On, Dollar. Hold on. I'm not afraid of you, Dollar. Or what you might find, or what you might try to do. My warehouse burnt down here, and that dandy little company of yours is going to pay the claim. True, I don't like your snooping around. I don't like you coming here like this, and you know it. No man would. And that's the biggest parcel of information you'll get from me. And I'll go elsewhere. Good idea. Have your dreams, Dollar. But have them someplace else. Go snoop through the ashes. Mainly, just get out of here. Now, Mr. Dollar... I can find the door. (laughs) Two things came out of that conversation with William Meadows. First, a reasonable platform to build a strong suspicion on. Second, what Meadows was really saying was, this is my town and I run things and anybody who gets in my way can get hurt. A real nice situation. I'd been threatened and I was being followed. Expense account item two. Seven dollars for a bottle of scotch. I rickshawed back to my hotel, locked myself in, and took up my vigil by the window. Same man watching from across the street. Same kind of night. In a city where life was supposedly so cheap, mine began to grow expensive.
Johnny Dollar. Superintendent Clyde here. You telephone? Yeah, I got a bird in my room who's ready to sing. Sing? Are you holding someone prisoner? I just scalped a two-bit thug that William Meadows had on me. The next one on my list is Meadows himself. I warn you, Dollar, any illegal action will be answered for here at headquarters. Does that work all the way around? What? Send out a wagon and pick this baby up. He was carrying a knife and a gun when I bopped him. He tried to kill me. All right, Mr. Dollar. I'll come at once. Tonight and every weeknight, Gerald Moore in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Fifth day in Hong Kong. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. To the Home Office Corinthian Liability and Risk, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an account of additional expenses during my investigation of the Trans-Pacific Arson case. And it is arson, I'm sure of it. Item 14. Seven dollars, wreckage, wreckage of bamboo curtains in my hotel room during scuffle with Thug who had murder in his eye. A tough-looking Oriental in a suit that was too big in the shoulders. Not so tough without his killing equipment. Dollar. Dollar. Not so fast, buddy. We got business. Okay, who sent you? Meadows? Yes. Yes, Middle. That's better. Now let's have the rest of it, including burning down a warehouse to collect... Just a moment, Mr. Dollar. Just one moment. What's going on here? I'm trying to find out, Mr. Clyde. Well, that's enough. Wilson, take Mr. Dollar's gun. Not mine. His. I took it from him. Nevertheless... All right, here. Well, now, this is the man you apprehended, Penlu. You know him? I've seen him. Now, you know his name, and I know he works for Meadows, and that he's been following me and tried to kill me. It ought to be enough for you to go to work on. One thing at a time, Mr. Dollar. Are you sure this man is in the employ of William Meadows? He just told me. Under uh, duress? Sure, I'd arrest him. I'd arrest anybody with that kind of equipment, wouldn't you? Now, calm down, old boy. A warehouse is burned to the ground. A girl is killed. There's an attempted murder, and you say calm down. I repeat it, calm down. All right, men, you take him to headquarters. We'll see what he has to say about all this. Why don't we see right here? And then if you can throw any light on the matter, we'll proceed further. Oh, I don't get you. The department and I have stood for all of the badgering we will from you, Mr. Dollar. Your case of arson against William Meadows consists of nothing but notarized statements from people who could have said almost anything. Their accusations with regard to the murder of that poor girl do bear consideration. But they are also very inconclusive. And you haven't done anything about it either. Uh, we do things our way, Mr. Dollar, in spite of your insurance company. Well, what about him, that, that Pen Lou? Well, he'll be questioned, most thoroughly. Then we shall proceed, or drop the whole matter. Really? Well, I'm proceeding right now. Yes, I heard you on the phone. You said you were going to get Meadows. I'm going to get a confession from him. Mr. Dollar, I checked on you as an investigator quite thoroughly. Thank you. You have a reputation in your United States, an enviable one. I can't disregard that. But I cannot disregard either the fact that this case is very complex and must be investigated cautiously. Now, we'll question this man in our way and for our reasons. Then I'll let you know the results. Well, what about my case? That will come out eventually. I didn't have to call you, but I did, because I thought at least you'd be convinced that now's the time to get Meadows and help me. I can see I was wrong. Wait one moment. Where are you going? Out. Mr. Dollar... I have no reason to arrest you right now, but I will, if you do anything out of line. I will be contacting you, and I suggest that you wait here 
I didn't wait. Expense account item 15. $48 American for rental on 1935 Packard. I got tired of rickshaws. I had a hard time driving through the Hong Kong streets. Anybody would. It was still jammed with humanity. Humanity on the verge of panic. Humanity living on the edge of a war. I'll say this for the old packet. The horn worked beautifully. Hardly anybody paid any attention to it. It took me a solid hour to get to the south part of town where Meadows lived. Meadows! Meadows, open up! Somebody open up or I'll shoot the lock off. Who, who is it? Open this door. Hurry it up. Wait. Oh. oh. How are you, Mr. Dollar? Where's Meadows? Mr. Meadows, he not here. You you come back. No. Please. Please, you wait, wait. Mr. Meadows not here, I tell you. Close the door. But, Mr. Meadows, he not here. Meadows. Meadows. Hmm? Not here. You come back. Where is please. he? He, he say come back next week. You, you come back next week. He see you then. Now you go. Please. If you know where he is, tell me. You come back next week. Now listen, I don't want to hurt you. Do you understand? No, 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 not hurt. But I will hurt plenty if I don't find out where he is. It's important. Now tell me. Where is he? He say not to tell anybody. Tell me. Oh, oh, oh I... He go Kowloon. Kowloon, huh? Yes. You, you'll find him there. And you go with me. And if he's not there, then I hurt. Oh. I'll try again. Where is he? Oh, I, I tell you. Repulse Bay. What'd you say? Repulse Bay. Repulse Bay. That's on the other side of the island where the big hotel is? Yes, sir. Yes, he there. Can I call him on the telephone? Y- yes. Yes, y- y- you call. Is he at the hotel? He got a cottage, number seven. Last one. Where's the telephone? Please, you're you not tell how you learned he there, please. Where's the telephone? Here. Telephone. Call the number, I'll talk. Now go ahead. Mr. Meadow, cottage, please. One moment. Okay, give it to me. Hello? 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 Oh, you, you see? I tell truth, he there. Yeah, you did fine. You, you, you go see? Yeah. You, no, 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 no tell. No tell. But it won't make any difference now. Not understand, Mr. Dollar. You will. old packet got me there in 40 minutes. I was already in front of the cottage seven when the police cars slid to a quiet stop. Superintendent Clyde spotted me. Just a moment, Dollar. We came here not because of what you said, but to see to it that nothing happens that might better be prevented. Thank you. 
You terrified that houseboy of Meadows. He called us and said that you'd been there. You're a hot-headed impetuous... No, this time you happen to be right. About Pen Lu. Huh? Pen Lu admitted that he'd been hired by Meadows to kill you. We took time to check his gun. Although he didn't admit that part, it's the same gun that killed Louisa Vedras. Louisa. But it isn't clear. Why would Meadows have her killed? Don't you see? They killed her thinking it was me. What? Well, Louisa and I got to know each other pretty well during the first days I was here. It's been a bad job for the nerves, what with the murder of the man who investigated Meadows in Shanghai, and and she got me a room at her father's hotel. She was there when I came back after a pretty bad day. I knew somebody was following me, and I guess I needed somebody to be with. So she stayed a while. She was there the next night waiting for me in the room. And she was waiting for me to come back the... The night she was killed. Oh, well, that answers me. Now, this is for my own information. I'm not police work. Are you here to get Meadows for your company or because of Louisa? She was a lovely girl. All right. He's a difficult man. Do what you can. What? Your turn, Dollar. You waited a long time for him. Make your play. Try to clear up what you have to for the insurance company. It'll be difficult after we've arrested him. Good luck. Thanks. Dollar! Who? Dollar! You know I'm still alive, Meadows. You know that girl was shot at the hotel room instead of me. Are you crazy? I stopped the man you had following me. His statement will put you in plenty of hot water. Now, are you coming down or shall I come in? Come on in. We'll talk about it. All right, I'm coming in. Okay. Meadows! Come on down! Meadows! <coughs> I told you. You should have known you wouldn't take me. Oh, I hit you, didn't I? Just in the arm. You'll be all right. Should have been your stomach. You're cashing in, Meadows. How about it? A statement. No. Tell it, Meadows, how you fired the warehouse and about the girl who can't hurt you now. Uh, I'll tell nothing. Are you all right? Meadows. You should have, should have got you in. All right, darling. Better have that arm taken care of. <laughs> Expense account item 16. $43 even. Medical fees and hospital charges. I don't suppose it could be called hewing to the niceties of jurisprudence since Meadows was dead. And he refused before dying to speak or write his confession, but there were two police carloads of witnesses who took the fact that he had opened fire as an acceptable admission of guilt. Same thing cleared me legally on the grounds of self-defense. I had hoped it would clear my mind, but it hasn't. Louisa Vedras is still there. I guess she always will be. Item 17, same as item 1. Plane fare back to the United States. Expense account total, $4,515 in the fifth day. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. <laughs>
Now, here is our star, Gerald Moore, to tell you about next week's story. Thanks. Monday night, the story of a ship, the Molly Kay. Destination, Davy Jones' locker. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar is produced in Hollywood. Written by E. Jack Newman and Gil Dowd, the entire production is under the direction of Jack Johnstone. Heard in the cast were Lillian Bayef, Will Wright, Tony Barrett, Harry Bartell, and Ben Wright. Be sure to join us on Monday night, same time and station, for another exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. George Walsh speaking. This is the CBS Radio Network. Welcome back. Well, I thought Moore did a good job with what was handed to him. And essentially, in these two portions of the audition, we get to see Johnny Dollar in two different places. The first is at the beginning of the case, where he's friendly and professional. And at the end of this trying case, where someone he liked and cared about was murdered, and he's not going to be stopped in his quest for justice. But I can definitely see why more didn't go forward to star in the series. There are things that you always want your detective to have, particularly when you're telling a more grounded story. You're going to want him to be tough. You're going to want him to be a man of action when it comes right down to it. The problem is, I think that the hard version of Johnny played by Moore was a bit too hard, at least for the era. Certainly, it wouldn't have been out of place on some series in, like, the late 40s to early 50s. And you had characters on Mutual, like Mike Hammer, who could really just bluster and bully their way through situations. But I think when you get into the mid to late 1950s, that particular approach was not sitting as well with audiences. You could also imagine them deciding that they didn't want to try and do Mike Malloy again since that had run its course back in 54. Now, I should say there are no episodes of Mike Malloy in circulation. However, I've got a sneaking hint that they're out somewhere given that the Radio Gold Index includes detailed synopsises of 148 of the 150 serialized episodes. That, to me, indicates that they existed somewhere at some point, and hopefully they've been digitalized. And if I got my hands on them, and I would certainly play them, provided I had the permission. Uh, I think Moore was great in all of the detective programs we've heard him in. Bill Lance and Philip Marlowe. And I'd love for episodes of him in The Lone Wolf and Mike Malloy to emerge. It would be great fun to play him, even though I think that 
CBS made the right call in this case just because of how well things would go for Bob Bailey. One thing I will say is a little bit of a frustration is I think the trans-Pacific matter would make a good proper five-part serial. But it's auditioned for a serial, but it was never properly made into one. Which is such a shame, because it would be brilliant. The only thing I could imagine stopping them from making it would be if Gildow just wouldn't cooperate or didn't have time to do what would be necessary to cooperate in converting it to a proper five-part story. One final note is that uh, Johnny announced the next story as the Molly K matter, which shows that even in late August, it had been determined that the Molly K matter would be the second uh, story for the serialized version. Or at least that it was approved for the series and they were somewhere in the writing process. So now I do want to just have a general housekeeping discussion to be clear on how we're going to present the uh, serials. Last time we did three days a week, we did two episodes Monday, two episodes Wednesday, and one episode on Friday with a 15-minute series played opposite the part five. This allowed us to go through some 15-minute stories, both serialized and non-serialized, such as the Carter Brown series and Manhunt, but obviously we don't have that same sort of stack of other 15-minute programs. So what we will be doing is we'll be doing two episodes on Tuesday, and three episodes on Friday. So we'll get through a serial a week, except for one of the last serials, which is a non-parter, which will play over two weeks. That said, let's turn to listener comments and feedback now. And we start with a comment from Emmett, who writes, I'm going to miss John Lund's voice as Johnny. First time round, I didn't think it was distinctive enough. This time, I learned to appreciate his delivery. It's best described as sardonic. I would put Lund as the second best Johnny ever with You Know Who as my favorite. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your comment, Emmett. And you're not the first person... I've heard uh, reassess John Lund. My first trip through Johnny Dollar was kind of like, you know, the stereotypical thing in Cars, Are We There Yet? when we were playing through the Lund era, because people were just like, you know, just skip the whole Lund era and play Bob Bailey. And I, you know, had to keep explaining, no, that's not how we do things on the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. And I definitely appreciate and share folks' love for the Bailey era. But I think, as you touched on, Emmett, there's a difference between someone not being your favorite and being bad. And there's a lot to like about Lund. And the way he played the character was very different from the way that Edmund O'Brien played the character. And you can look at it as almost a step towards uh, what Bob Bailey would bring to the role and the way that he'd be written during the Jack Johnstone era. Lund was very good in the role. There was some good writing. The character acting was as good, if not better, 
than you'd have in the Bailey era with all of the regular guest actors that they had. I do think that some of the increased appreciation for the Lund era has come with an improvement in the quality of Lund era recordings available. Some of the nuances of a performance get lost when you're listening to a poor quality recording. And the Lund era stuff that was circulating like in the early 2000s, you had a lot of poor quality recordings, including with the San Antonio matter. They only had the unedited drama portions uh, with a lot of flaws in the recording, and that was probably one of Lund's best performances. So we can really enjoy him a lot more. I think it's perfectly possible to enjoy a poor quality old-time radio recording that's barely audible for just the story and for just hearing anything that's a missing episode of a series you enjoy. But you can enjoy it so much more when you can just listen to it without having to really focus on deciphering the poor sound. And that's definitely helped John Lund. We turn now to Spreaker, where Warren comments, I saw, and this is regarding the Meet Miss Sherlock episode, I saw this detective mentioned earlier someplace, but I couldn't find it again until now. Phew, that was close. Now I have something to talk about. Well, thank you so much, Warren. And while I love sharing the big favorite series with so many different episodes, I really have fun pulling out the rare and forgotten gems and being able to get them to a wider audience. Thank you so much, and now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Neil, Patreon supporter since September 2016, currently supporting the program at the Shamus level of $4 or more per month. Thanks so much for your support, Neil. And that will do it for today. If you want to be sure and never miss an episode, I encourage you to follow or subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcast software, including Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or the Amazon Music app at amazon.com slash otrdetectives. Also, if you are enjoying the podcast on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, or mark the notification bell. All those things that help a channel grow. We will be back next Tuesday to kick off our run through the Bob Bailey era. But join us back here tomorrow for Tales of the Texas Rangers, where... What I wanted to show you is over here, Jace. First, I thought them two old fellas must have been hearing things, though. Are you still around, Sheriff? Over there with the crowd. Funny how excitement draws people like bees around a jam jar. You want to talk to George and Ollie? Yeah, in a few minutes. There you are. When I found this, I was pretty sure there really was a shooting here. Yeah. Blood, all right. George and all, I think it was a girl that was shot. Why? They heard the man yelling for her to come back, and then there was three, four shots. You figure she could have got up and crawled away after she was hit? That's not likely. Tracks indicate she was dragged, probably back to the car. The two men witnesses recognize either of the people? No, it was too dark. Only thing they remembered was a car, a black four-door sedan. Well, I reckon we'll just have to wait for a missing persons report. If the girl really was killed, I... What's the matter? 
Mind hand me that branch, Sheriff? I think I see something in the water. Sure. Yeah, thanks. Can you make out what it is? I think it's... Yeah. It is. A woman's handbag. Shoulder strap's broken. That could have happened when she fell. Uh Uh-huh. Lipstick. Compact. (laughs) Driver's license. Water didn't smear the type too much, did it? No. Name's Lucy Regan. Lucy Regan? Why, that's a kindergarten teacher here in town. A real sweet kid. Nobody'd want to hurt a girl like that. We're not sure it's the girl who was hurt. Let's go find out. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.